Decades ago, a quote was carved into a marble wall at headquarters. And ye shall know the truth, it reads, and the truth shall make you free. At CIA, there are truths we can share and stories we can tell. Stories of duty and dedication. Stories of ingenuity and mission. Stories beyond those of Hollywood scripts and shadowed whispers. Today, we're taking a step out from behind those shadows, sharing what we can, and offering a glimpse into the world of the Central Intelligence Agency. This is The Langley Files. We do have officers who find themselves in difficult situations where they need to get away from somebody who is looking to do them harm. The motto is, you know, we do hard things in hard places, um, and that sometimes means that we find ourselves in situations where you've got to get out of the situation, get off the X, as they say in the business. Welcome back, everyone, to this very special edition of The Langley Files. I'm Walter. And I'm Dee. And over the course of this, CIA's first ever podcast, one of the themes that has come up again and again has been the number of myths and misconceptions that surround CIA. Now, here at Langley, Virginia, winter is very much in full swing, which for many of us here and around the world means more time spent gathering inside with friends and family, often watching movies and binging TV shows, many of which whether they take place during the Cold War or in a world where dinosaurs again roam the Earth, feature the CIA. But how many of those CIA storylines bear any resemblance to reality? And how many are the kind of misconceptions that so many of our guests have brought up? Well, for this season finale of the inaugural season of The Langley Files, we thought we'd tackle that subject head on for a full episode of Real versus real. It always works better written out, doesn't it? Really it really does. Um, so we'll be putting spy fiction to the test, calling out those recurring scenes in spy movies, shows, books, and even video games, and seeing how they stack up against the reality of what CIA does every day. Along the way, we'll see that many of those moments in spy fiction that we know all so well are, well, just patently false. But some do kind of hit the mark. And to help us separate those facts from the fiction, we've brought in a very special guest. We have with us here today CIA's Deputy Director, David Cohen, someone who served in the senior most ranks of CIA not once but twice. He was previously CIA Deputy Director from 2015 to 2017, and who prior to that served as a top official at the Treasury Department, where he specialized in tracking and blocking terrorist finances. Tracking terrorist finances, rising up the ranks to Deputy Director of the CIA, I think that sounds like a certain uh, CIA analyst that many folks know from the fictional world. That's just the stuff we're allowed to say on the podcast. So true. Uh, And there might also be another reason that Deputy Director Cohen is the perfect person to have this conversation with when it comes to knowing not just the national security world, but also the entertainment industry. But we'll get to that. We will. But for now, Walter and I are thrilled and honored to welcome CIA Deputy Director David Cohen to the Langley Files. Sir, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dee. Thanks, Walter. It's a pleasure to be here. 
So, Deputy Director Cohen, let's start by asking you this. For anyone wondering, plenty of people here at CIA do watch spy films and mm-hmm. TV shows. Director Burns said in our very first episode that he loves spy movies. Well, many others have told me that at the end of the day, they really just want to get all that out of their mind. Right. Especially when so much of Hollywood gets it so wrong. So, <laughs> where do you come down on this issue? Do you like spy movies? Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, when I leave work, I do like to find my way to, you know, something that takes my mind away from what we do here all day. But that doesn't mean that I don't do spy shows and spy movies. It's good entertainment, I think, as we will talk about. Some of it's, uh, some of it's real, some of it's not so real. Um, I will say the one thing that I have found in watching spy movies over the years that I think is not real is that the deputy director of the CIA is often the bad guy mm. in Good in point. lots of movies yeah. in lots of movies it seems like it, the de- the deputy director is uh, is up to no good so i i like to watch the spy movies just to know how my position is being portrayed that's not real that's fair i hope <laughs> We hope not either. <laughs> um, but since we're, we're kind of talking about that, the concept of real and what is shown on TV or in the films, um, we thought maybe we'd go over some scenarios with you about okay. what might be the difference between reality and that make-believe world. Um, so maybe we'll just kick things off a bit and talk about a scene we see a lot in television and movies there's always some shadowy room where you know these top key CIA officials are getting some kind of high-level briefing somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And in this very dark room, they're getting a briefing on some kind of unfolding crisis that's somewhere in the world. At the heart of that is a CIA officer who's gone rogue mm-hmm. and is now mm-hmm. threatening to expose a, quote, off-the-books CIA operation. But to stop them, those CIA officials in that very you know dark, shadowy room have decided <laughs> to deploy a team of assassins that's been pre-positioned and lying in wait. So for you, sir, is yeah. that spy fact or fiction? Uh, I think I have to go with fiction on that one. <laughs> um, first of all, we've got very good lighting. Okay. Yeah. I, I would concur with that. Yeah. Um, so not so many dark. Uh, conference rooms. But I think, uh, like, more importantly, the rogue CIA officer doing the off-books operation, that's not really a thing. You know, uh, one of the one of the things I think we do pride ourselves in in the agency is that, you know, although we are operating around the world, we are operating consistent with U.S. law in the U.S. Constitution and the sort of in the, the regulations that govern uh, the CIA. We are, as I think the American people would expect, uh, an agency that uh, takes quite seriously adherence to the law. So we don't, uh, we don't have a whole bunch of rogue officers running around. I think the other piece of that also, uh, for what it's worth, is if we had an officer going rogue, if we had somebody uh, out violating the law in some fashion, we don't do law enforcement. Uh, we are not a law enforcement agency. We are an intelligence agency. So we would call our friends at the FBI. I hope that they would not send out a team of assassins <laughs> to uh, to corral this rogue officer, but we would ask them to go and uh, and pick the guy up. The FBI uh, has a lead in, obviously, in, in arresting and then Justice Department prosecuting. I think it's also worth saying that this kind of sending the team of assassins is very much the kind of thing a nefarious deputy director of the CIA <laughs> would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. And I will say with 100% confidence that I have never done that. <laughs> 
Okay, so here's another one for you. Yeah. You've got a CIA officer, often an analyst, but not always, uh, who's based at headquarters here in Langley. And one day they're sitting at their desk, immersed in a project they've been working on, confident mm-hmm. they know what tomorrow holds. The next day they're being plucked from their desk, driven to an airfield, told there's uh, you know, an urgent operation they're needed in, in a faraway location, and they have to leave this very moment. So right. Deputy Director Cohen, uh, spy factor fiction. There's a little bit of fact, mostly fiction, but there's probably a little bit of fact in there. And I, I think that the fact part of it is that the the officers that we have working overseas are not just operations officers. They are, you know, for your listeners who I, I, I'm sure are uh, have been paying attention to the prior episodes, understand the difference between an ops officer and an analyst and a and a tech officer and a support officer. A lot of what we have in the field and a lot of what's portrayed in books and movies and TV shows are ops officers, the case officers on the street. Um, but we do have other officers who who work overseas. Some are posted overseas. Some go on you know temporary uh, assignments and travel overseas. And you know some of that can come up quickly. Uh, I think you know the reality is most of it's quite pre-planned and you got to get your travel voucher in in advance and, <laughs> and all the rest. Um, but, uh, but occasionally, you know, there is the, the tap on the sh- shoulder and you got to go do something. And that is, that can be true for a, an analyst as well as for an ops officer as well as, you know, for a, for a tech officer or support officer as well. What about the tagline that we always hear? You know, I can't do that. I'm only an analyst. Yeah. Is that something that you no ever. analyst has ever said that <laughs> to me. <laughs> I thought as much. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but look, I mean, but we do have, you know, we have um, different jobs in this agency. Um, and we ask our ops officers to do things differently than what we ask our analysts to do. Um, you know, we, people specialize and they have uh, unique skills that they, that they develop. And so there are some things that we do not ask analysts to do. And there are some things we don't ask our ops officers to do. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody is happy about that, to be <laughs> honest. I can imagine so. <laughs> All right. We're going to follow the same fictional CIA officer overseas for a moment. Okay. They're on the trail of a dangerous individual or a nefarious plot or a shadowy organization. And they recruit a human source who passes them some vital information on some kind of password-protected device that was stolen from the villains. Um, so our CIA officer cracks that password themselves. This then, is a good officer. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he's, he's supreme right here. <laughs> this so. guy's getting a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he is now kind of to see what the, the truth really is. It's coming to focus for him. So he himself gears up and raids that organization's mm. headquarters all by himself. Spy fact or fiction? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with fiction on that one. I mean, there are elements of that. Each element in there, I think, is something that a CA officer could do. Um, but I don't think there's any officer who, who we would ask to do all of that. Right. So, I mean, recruiting the source, you know, what we ask our, our officers or ops officers to do is to you know, spot, assess, develop, recruit, and and run sources. That's you know core to the officer's mission. So, in this scenario, pretty good work here. They've got a they've got a problem. They've they've managed to recruit a source quickly. That's great. But then you know the follow on of uh, you know they could get the the password protected. Would they get a thumb drive or something? Yeah, some device yeah, that has a yeah. password on it. Yeah. Um, I think they would then hand that off to one of our officers, perhaps from our director of digital innovation, 
who would figure out how to crack that password, you know, and they've got they've got those skills. Um, so we we'd bring in some of our our other officers to do that work. And then once they figure out what's going on here, they want to go and all by themselves, all by themselves, read the go. compound. Yep. Yeah. Again, I don't know that that we would have our you know either the gal uh, who figured out how to crack the password or the, the the person who recruited the source be the one who then goes and you know storms the compound. They frankly we don't do much compound storming, so I'm not exactly sure who would be involved in doing that. But one thing I'm pretty sure of is that it would not be the same officer all the way through. It's a lot of overtime. It's a lot of overtime. It's a lot yeah. of overtime, and a lot of lack of oversight as well. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah. I would hope at some point there was like a, a cable back to headquarters <laughs> where uh, where somebody said, uh, "Can you just like uh, slow down?" <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that happened in this particular scenario. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I have another one for you. Uh, let's say then that it's a small team of CIA officers trained in various skills, endeavoring Mm -hmm. on this kind of very unique operation. And they've come fully prepared for whatever might be thrown at them. They've got this fully stocked room or bunker or train compartment even, uh, filled (laughs) with futuristic technology. Um, One officer dons a mask that's so realistic it almost fools themselves. And then there's that other officer that grabs some kind of compound that can, you know, disable any lock and any kind of mechanism, and then always packs some kind of gadget that lets them scale walls in any type Mm. of environment. Hmm. So Deputy Director Cohen, spy factor fiction. You know, kind of a little bit of both, I think. Um, so on the disguise part, I will tell you a, a true story. Our director of science and technology, uh, one of the things that it does is disguises, all sorts of different kinds of disguises. When I was actually doing this job the first time around, I went out to a, a DSNT facility where they do um, disguises. And I was getting a tour around the facility. And they had other things that were going on there as well. And they introduced me to this woman who was going to uh, give me the tour and introduced herself. And, you know, we had a little chit-chat, and then we spent about a half hour walking around uh, looking at different things, and she was explaining various things to me. And then at the end of this, like, half-hour tour, you know, we went back to the room that we had started in, and she, like, took off the glasses that she was wearing, you know, took off the scarf that she had, um, you know, wrapped around her hair, um, I, had, I don't know, took off some jewelry. And I realized I knew her. I knew her well. Wow. And I had no idea it was her. She had put on a disguise mm-hmm. before I got in there, and had, I had spent a half hour with her um, doing this tour, did not know it was her. So, wow. so the first part of this, the disguise, mm-hmm. we do really, really uh, exquisite disguises. So, Can I ask, was she doing that just to see if you would Hundred percent. Oh, oh no, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. No, and she was, she was, um, she was quite happy that I, <laughs> she with my you. surprise, she did. Uh, it was great. Um, and then you know the you know compound that uh, that unlocks the uh, yeah just dismantles you know. any lock. So again, in in director of science and technology, we've got uh, folks who have all sorts of cool gadgets. Mm-hmm. We'll probably. Want to leave it at that, so we don't have to. Um, <laughs> we don't have to hit the bleep out button. Um, but uh, um, sure, we've got lots of technologies that allow us to uh, to you know, get our work done. Well, let me ask you then. Um, 
so they you have a, a good scenario there about um, somebody faking you out and then talking about our tech people. Um, is there a particular um, maybe declassified mission that you might be able to to tell a little bit about some of the tech that we've so used cool previously? Um, sure. Um, so one thing I think, as your listeners know, we have recently reopened our our refurbished CIA museum, which has a whole host of really uh, cool really things cool. in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the displays there um, is of something called the Skyhook. For those who are as old as me, this is not the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Skyhook. This is the <laughs> Skyhook that uh, that the agency devised. Um, I think it goes back to I think 1961, and the the scenario was that the Soviets had some facility in the Arctic on you know on some ice in the Arctic, and then the ice broke off into an ice island and it was floating away, and the the Soviets skedaddled out of there and left it abandoned. And so we knew it was there, but it was kind of isolated and difficult to get to. And so we devised a way to drop a couple of, I think, Navy pilots onto the onto this ice island out in the middle of the Arctic. They spent some time in these big, you know, polar uh, suits to keep them warm, collected up a whole bunch of really interesting information. But they, you know, it's easy to get them there. You can drop them there and they can parachute in. But they wanted to come home as well, and, and we also wanted the intelligence that they were collecting. Um, so what we devised is, you know, we they parachuted in, and then we had specially devised um, skyhook, which was attached to an aircraft that flew and dropped a big hook, and they had uh, something that hooked onto the hook, uh, and it picked them up off the off the ice in a way that did not also kill them at the same time um, as the airplane was flying by, at, you know, hundreds of miles an hour, and then winched them up into the aircraft. And I think that has, that um, operation has been repeated in, in, I think, in the James Bond. I think Batman yeah. did this. Uh, it, that makes its way into, uh, into spy uh, literature and, and, and spy movies and absolutely. spy TV shows. Absolutely does. And to that point, I think it just kind of um, resonates the fact that um, even though there are you know stark differences between what we do and what you see on screen, in some situations it really is the fact that um, some of the things you see on screen really do have roots in, in right. CIA um, history and yeah. some of the things that we have the ability to do here. And actually, if listeners want to see a representation of the Skyhook, they can go to CIA.gov. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great um, particular mission, and it's a great artifact to, to look yeah. at as well. It's very cool. We're going to continue on now with the classic spy scenarios. So let's just go back to those officers that have all those cool gadgets, gizmos. Um, they now have found themselves in a position where it's a mad dash to try to outrun um, the antagonist of the story. So they grab keys to a vehicle that was you know, obviously off screen until this very moment that mm-hmm. it was needed. Um, <laughs> one officer slides across the hood and another one jumps in the back seat and kicks out two of the windows. For defensive purposes, there will be gunfire. There will obviously be gunfire here. Um, so <laughs> the hood sliding officer jumps in the car and they take off at unimaginable speeds. They're traversing through narrow nooks and crannies and driving both forward and reverse at times. And shots are being fired all around in different directions until the officers find themselves safe from the pursuers. Right? 
So, sir, yes, spy fact or fiction? You know, unfortunately, is a little bit of fact to that. I mean, we do have officers who find themselves in difficult situations where they need to get away from somebody who is looking to do them harm. The motto is, you know, we do hard things in hard places. Um, and that sometimes means that we find ourselves in situations where we've got to get out of the situation, get off the X, as they say in the business. And, you know, because of that, we train our officers before any officer goes overseas to pretty much any post. They need to get qualified for handling a, a, a firearm um, for defensive purposes, truly for defensive purposes. You know, it is just a reality of our business that if you're going to be out on the street, out in, you know, you can name the country. Uh, it's, you know, basically any country in the world where you could uh, find yourself in a tight situation and need to be able to defend yourself. Um, and, you know, one of the things we take, you know, obviously uh, extremely seriously is the safety and security of our officers. And so so there's some there's some fact to that uh, that scenario where we would have officers who uh, who would you know, find themselves in a in a shootout and get themselves out of it. And and, you know, the other piece of that, the defensive driving. Yeah, is there hood sliding? Yeah. I mean, I think you'll come to the agency knowing how to do hood sliding. I, I think was I, we, thinking, I think course, we were good for that. that. Yeah. yeah. You're um, right. uh, but but defensive driving we also train. Um, that's uh, as part of the the core training that goes for folks who are going overseas is to to know how to drive a car in a in a tight situation and get yourself uh, get yourself to safety. Yeah, you know, we plan very very carefully all of our operations to try to avoid finding ourselves in a situation where we need to you know, have, you know, some sort of effort to get off the X quickly. Well, sir, you've been doing an awesome job at helping to differentiate between fact and fiction for us. But can we ask you a couple of personal questions while we have you here? I suppose so. (laughs) A captive audience, but go ahead. Um, For starters, would you have any advice for a particular would-be screenwriter or if you yourself maybe wanted to dabble in some spy thriller fiction or screenwriting, what would it be about or where would it take place? Well, I'm a little bit reluctant to go down this path. I have a screenwriter in the family and uh, I am quite certain that he would not think that I knew the first thing about writing a screenplay. (laughs) Um, But look, I think that the best spy fiction, uh, you know, spy movies, spy books, whatever it may be, are not the scenario that you just described before about the shootout and the car chase and what have you. That's, you know, you can do that. That's kind of, uh, that's like an easy one to do. I think the interesting story, and if I were to write a story, and I'm not going to tell anybody the plot line of the story I'm going to write. I'm going to okay, keep that to myself. Fair. That's fair. I mean, it is um, the CIA. We keep secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but it would be about, it would be about the interesting characters in interesting places finding themselves in, you know, in difficult situations where they need to, you know, use their their moxie to uh, to figure out how to get out of it. And you know, and one of the things that is that I I love about my job, to be honest, is I I, I do get to travel quite a lot, and in my travels, I get to visit stations that we have all around the world. You know, some of them are big stations in, you know, in, you know, big cities. But we also have, we have stations, smaller stations in places around the world. And in those stations, you have just a small, you know, handful of officers doing everything the agency needs to do in that country. Often 
quite young, you know, first, second tour officers who are being asked to recruit sources, run assets, engage with foreign partners, do a whole host of really interesting things. And so if I, if I were to be uh, writing a, a spy story, I think I would set it in one of these, you know, small stations with the young officers who, you know, find themselves all of a sudden in some really tricky situation that they've got to use their, uh, you know, their ingenuity to, to get themselves out of. I feel like he does have something that he's uh, been yeah. working on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's funny you say it. I think there have been now shows, books, movies, even video games about CIA operations officers or case officers, CIA yeah. paramilitary officers, CIA analysts. Of course, we talked about even now CIA lawyers. Um, what CIA profession in particular would you like to see chronicled next? There are so many. There's oh, so there many. are tons. There's so many. Boy, I don't, you know, it's a, that's interesting because I think what's, you know, a, a real sort of essential fact of the way we do our business is that none of those individual jobs, whether it's an op officer or an analyst or a lawyer or a technologist or, you know, the, you know, security at the gate, like none of us can do this mission on our own. So I think, you know, to go back to my to my story that I really have not started writing the screenplay on, I really <laughs> haven't. Um, <laughs> But like in that scenario, I would have, you know, I would have an ops officer, I'd have an analyst, I'd have, you know, someone with some technological skill. You know, maybe there, there's also a lawyer in there or there's, you know, someone from our directorate of support who do amazing things about getting what we need to where we need it, when we need it. So it isn't, I actually think it's not about the particular job category so much as what the magic is, is sort of how folks in the agency work together to, uh, to get things done. So, yeah, so I don't know who the, the protagonist in the story would be, what their job would be, but they would be working with others to get it done. It'd be the team. The team would be the, the team, protagonist. For sure. Well, I think we should also take a moment to mention here that you are also technically something of an actor yourself. Uh, <laughs> only, only very, very technically. <laughs> it was a very popular TV show. Yeah. Uh, are you willing to speak a little bit about that with us here? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so what's the story? What's the story? I mean, can yeah. you tell us what the the show was? So, I I had a very brief appearance in the final season of Game of Thrones a few years ago, and uh, I had mentioned earlier my relation who's a screenwriter. So, my brother in law was one of the, was one of the showrunners of Game of Thrones. And when I left the agency in 2017, you know, I was kicking around trying to figure out what to do. Uh, no, <laughs> um, dreams uh, and ambition. Yeah, yeah, I did not. I did not uh, go to Hollywood and try and be an actor. <laughs> but I did hit up my brother-in-law and say, "Hey, you know, if uh, if you could find a way for me to get a brief uh, little cameo on Game of Thrones, you know, I'm game." And he did. And so I um, I was a peasant coming in out of the uh, wilderness into Winterfell as the, as the battle was starting to, to brew. I was in one, I don't know, minute long, minute and a half long mm-hmm. scene <laughs> of getting soup. I got some soup, although it didn't actually continue. I am quite sure I got killed in the next episode. I feel like everybody yeah. got killed in that yeah, season. I, yeah, I don't think it was personal. <laughs> yeah. um, Aside from the connection you had there, personally yeah. speaking, was there another reason you wanted to be on that particular show, or was it just because of the the interest of 
It was just yeah. a target of opportunity. Cool. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, uh, do you have any future plans, maybe after your time here at CIA, for subsequent big or small screen appearances? Yeah, well, so for my enormous fan base for my acting career, um, which consists, I think, of um, just me, um, there is a, uh, I'm sure it is not my family or anyone else I for that Walter matter. I think Walter and I would be a <laughs> We thought that was a great minute. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, there, there may be something else coming up, uh, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a couple years yet before it hits the screen. We'll stay tuned. In the meantime, sir, we will anxiously await that. Um, but we wanted just to thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us um, to give us a little insight on spy fact versus fiction um, and really to help us kind of round out our first season here of The Langley Files. Yeah, it was my great pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have you back. Sure. Love to. You know where to find me. <laughs> we do. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm still thinking about Skyhook. Right. Well, I hope this conversation gets people intrigued about the work that we actually do here at the CIA, while also demonstrating that there are similarities, but also some very big differences between what they see on the screen or read in books versus what is done at CIA on a daily basis. Absolutely. So Dee and I wanted to take a moment here to thank you, all of our listeners who have tuned in to some or all of these episodes of The Langley Files so far. And we will stress the words so far, because even though we're wrapping up season one, Walter and I will be back to bring you a whole new season of The Langley Files in the next couple months. And we'll be featuring a new round of guests and a host of new subject matters. And we don't want to give anything away, but we said at the launch of this podcast that we hope to give you a unique look behind the curtain here at CIA. And we're aiming for a season two that does just that in exciting new ways. So stay tuned for future episodes. But before we sign off on this episode, we need to do a little trivia. As listeners may remember, last episode we asked a question that came from our friends at CIA's World Factbook. The question was, this capital city is a UNESCO World Heritage Site with some 320 monuments within just over 0.2 square miles, making it one of the most concentrated historic areas in the world. And all of this resides in what is also the smallest capital city in the European Union. The question is, what city is it? And for those of you who know a lot about world geography, or a little, pun intended, you may know that the answer is Valletta, Malta. That was actually a really good question. And now to our next trivia question. So we know it's going to be a few months before we come back with the answer, but fittingly for this episode, we thought a nice little cliffhanger was in order. So here it goes. While on the topic of movies, many of our listeners may be familiar with the movie Argo, starring Ben Affleck. Now, the true story behind CIA's operation to rescue a group of American hostages being held in Iran had a true life tie-in to a very well-known artist. This artist created the artwork for a fake film project in order to provide cover for the real CIA rescue operation being worked behind the scenes. The question is, who was the artist? And for those of you who are not a fan of cliffhangers, the answer is actually mentioned somewhere in this first season of The Langley Files. And that does it for the season. We thank all of our guests over the past six episodes for their participation. And again, thank all of you for tuning in. We hope you learned a bit about what CIA actually does. 
the people here, and how they work to help keep America, as well as others around the world, safe. And we look forward to bringing you more content and conversation very soon. But until then, from all of us here at Langley, we'll be seeing you. Do you think there's a reason Hollywood and other fiction writers really like using names that start with J for the CIA and other spy characters? Jack, James, Jason. Um, That's a very good question. Maybe we'll have to ask a future guest. Definitely make a note of that. But let's head out of here. Season one, done.